This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Ho, 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 and welcome to episode 95 of THN. We are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, December 19th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not explaining to my co-host that I am obviously the maverick of this show, and he's the goose in our little war on Christmas, I'm appraising comics <laughs> and writing the comic speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not too busy being grateful, knowing that my friend Matt Baum will be there to take care of my family after I break my neck ejecting from the THN fighter jet, I'm the artist of Good Plus and the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Unless your wife is Meg Ryan. That chick is a freak and she's not attractive. This week, <laughs> you'll hear reviews of Django Unchained and Justice Society, The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull. After that, we'll review 10 more comics faster than Santa can take my stocking during the ludicrous speed round and then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where a goddamn Xmas miracle will show us the secrets of next week's comics and finally we'll review not one but two of David Peterson's mouse guard books as a part of our very special Xmas. Take a look, it's in a book but before we unwrap our presents and then return all the crap, let's take a moment to sing Hosanna in the highest and go tell it on the mountain it's Santa's birthday and we're getting down y'all and then we can talk about this week's big news. Taking the Santa out of Christmas. No, no, we're putting Santa into Christmas. You got it all backwards. <laughs> it looks like the man that created Rocket Raccoon is at it again. Keith Giffen is reintroducing Captain Carrot in the pages of his upcoming sci-fi series Threshold. Because you demanded it. But not in the way you might expect. Because Joe Patrick demanded it. Take Obviously. Take Captain Carrot and mix with equal doses of Captain Ahab, Lobo, and Han Solo, and you've got Captain Karat, a one-eyed, one-legged, hard-drinking, psychotic space rabbit that will debut in the pages of February's Threshold Number 2. Giffen insists that fans of Rocket Raccoon and Lobo should expect a different take. In an interview with Newsarama, Giffen said, quote, Threshold is not Annihilation or Guardians of the Galaxy. This is a different animal. No pun intended. Every pun intended. It's a rabbit, not a raccoon. Totally different right. animal. <laughs> Given continued saying that his desire with Threshold was to recapture the feeling of comics that were all about fun and spectacle and less about greediness and melodrama. Yeah, you know, like hard drinking and psychosis. Well, fun. But, you know, in a fun way. <laughs> sure. Uh, but So, I don't know, is, is a talking rabbit with a peg leg your idea of fun comics? I don't know how they can say that this is not them trying to capture the Rocket Raccoon, you know, character, because yeah. it just is. There's no way around it. I mean, it just the, is. The cynic in me, of course, feels the same way. Uh, but Keith Giffen created Rocket Raccoon. Yes. And so if he wants to create a, a Rocket Raccoon for DC, I'm okay with it. I mean, I'm okay with it, too. I guess I'm just not excited. Keith Giffen's name just doesn't excite me like it used to, which is too bad because he he's great. And maybe this will be fun, but it sure is hard to believe this isn't an Annihilation knockoff. This isn't an attempt to grab on to Marvel's cosmic hoo-ha they've got going on with the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, pretty hard for me to swallow that this is, oh, this is something else. No, no, totally different, you know? Well, If but, it's good, you know, it's good, and I'm into it. Whatever. I'm, o I'm, okay, with, I'm okay with that. I mean, I, seeing that 
obviously fans are into the cosmic stuff right now, or they were, and that Marvel's trying to recapture that. Or both companies are hoping they're going to be. Right. <laughs> one, of the, one of the three. I think DC's kind of, uh, DC's cosmic side is underdeveloped compared to Marvel. Oh, completely. And if you're going to hire somebody to help you flesh it out, I think Keith Giffen is a good choice because he's the one that has contributed so much to what already worked at Marvel. Sure. If it's good, I'm into it. If not, no big loss. Yeah, I suppose. Is Pig Iron going to be there? Uh, yes, Pig Iron is going to be there. <laughs> Yankee Doodle Poodle, is she going to be there too? <laughs> I don't know if Yankee Poodle is going to be there. Following up on one of our recent stories, DC Comics has revealed the new Vertigo editorial structure following the departure of Karen Berger. DC's promoted Wildstorm veteran and senior vice president of digital, Hank Canals. To the, role, yeah. <laughs> to the role of senior VP of Vertigo. Meanwhile, Shelley Bond has been promoted to the position of Vertigo's executive editor, effectively splitting Berger's position in two. Bond, Dennis, and Doyle have all been with Vertigo for years. Will Dennis has served as an editor on titles such as 100 Bullets, Scalped, DMZ, and Pride of Baghdad. Bond herself has been with Vertigo since its inception in 1993 and has been instrumental in launching some of its best-known titles, such as Fables, The Invisibles, House of Secrets, and the recently canceled iZombie. Speaking of the newly promoted editors in DC's press release, Karen Berger said, quote, I've been incredibly lucky to have worked for many years with these three smart and talented editors. Shelley has been by my side since the beginning of Vertigo, so I couldn't be happier about the passing of the baton to her. Vertigo is in the best of hands. Is this true? Joe Patrick. I think it's definitely a positive step. I think everyone's worry was that DC was just going to say, Editor Joe Schmo from something you've never heard of, or somebody who's never been in comics before, is now in charge of Vertigo. Or they were just going to go, Vertigo's gone. It's all DC now. And we'll just take our overworked editors and they can edit this stuff too. See, and the thing is, and this is where I'm at personally with DC is that I was less afraid that they were just going to let Vertigo die or that Vertigo was just going to go away suddenly than I was that DC was going to let it die a slow, lingering death. I suppose. I guess I was afraid it wasn't going to die, but just vanish all of a sudden. Like, all the books used to have Vertigo imprints on the cover would just be DC. And you'd go, what? <laughs> well, yeah, but so we've talked about that before. The changing fables from Vertigo to DC doesn't really change fables. I mean, I guess... But I think Vertigo, as an entity, has value to DC, and I'm glad that they seem to be treating it as such. Yeah, you know? and all these people obviously have been connected to very important Vertigo projects in the past, and this is right. good news. I no long, I'm no longer as scared as I was. And the new executive editor, Shelley Bond, has been with Vertigo since there was a Vertigo. Yeah. So for she to be the new... Karen Burger, I think it's let's it's definitely her, a let's positive. Let's call her the new head burger. She's the new, she's the new head burger. <laughs> uh, and you know, it kind of takes a little bit away of the, I think, the kind of conspiracy theory where it's it's easy to assume that DC kind of drove Karen Burger away. Yeah, I mean they they're obviously passing this on to her proteges. You know, why would they do that if they weren't interested in preserving Vertigo for what it is yeah. and what it can add to their line? If they were going to change it or, or kill it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think I think we can breathe a sigh of relief. What I'd like to see now, though, where's the next Sandman? Where's the next yeah, Hellblazer? Definitely. 
Finally, it looks like the other shoe has dropped for Dark Horse. The Disney-centric blog Blue Sky Disney has claimed that Dark Horse will definitely lose the Star Wars comic book rights to Marvel. Big shot. But not right away. In their original posting, Blue Sky claims that the current contract with Dark Horse will be allowed to expire without renewal. However, the plans currently in place will not run their course for a little while, meaning that Marvel probably won't pick up the license until 2015, right around the release of the upcoming Star Wars Episode 7. He said, without a hint of coincidence or irony. <laughs> if Blue Sky Disney is correct, that means we could possibly enjoy... A nice run of Brian Wood's Star Wars before Dark Horse passes the baton on to Marvel. And I think that that is pretty decent. I'm I'm kind of okay with that. What do you think? Well, I think we all knew that Brian Wood wasn't going to enjoy a several-year, you know, long, protracted run on Star Wars. And I'll take whatever I can get from him. I, I love his Conan. I love everything the guy's writing right now. And I think Star Wars will be a lot of fun. To tell you the truth... Saga is already kind of scratching that itch for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm not like if it didn't happen, if they just went, ah, no, Brian Wood, Star Wars, I wouldn't cry, I guess. But, well, I, but I still think we'll get some good issues. I think this is sad for Dark Horse because they've been working. They've been doing great work with Star Wars for years now, years and years and years. And this really right. is the end of an era for them. There's been a lot of mediocre stuff as well. I don't know if that's their fault or... LucasArts fault. I mean, it's hard to tell. But guys like John Ostrander have given a huge chunk of their life to Dark Horse Star Wars. And I really hope that maybe when this does go over to Marvel, he gets a chance to come over and oversee some stuff or work directly with them because he really is great there. Well, I... I mean, I, I think it had to happen. Yeah. And I'm glad that Dark Horse is going to get a chance to kind of plan their plan their own wrap-up to this universe, you know, if that is their plan. Right. Rather than just say, okay, well, you're done. I suppose there's no reason to think that the stories that have happened, like Dawn of the Jedi or Crimson Empire or anything like that, won't still be considered... Canon? Won't still be considered canon because it's all owned by Lucasfilm. It's not owned by Dark Horse. It's not like Marvel couldn't do another Agents of the Empire story. I suppose, but I have this feeling that they just won't. And I, it's probably better if they just don't touch it. If they just go, this is Marvel now, and this is what we're doing here, and it's our own brand. Get on board. You know, I, I have a feeling they're really not going to pay attention to a lot of this stuff. Yeah, you're probably right, but uh, I am glad. I am glad. I was actually really looking forward to Brian Wood's Star Wars, and I'm glad it, it sounds like we're going to get a, a decent batch of it before. Yeah, if he can do two years of it, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. that'd be great. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where Joe Patrick and I have written our own treatment for the end of the Dark Horse Star Wars universe where... Through happenstance, Frank Castle is sucked through time and space into a galaxy long, long ago, far, far away, where he then murders the Star Wars universe. Watch for Punisher Kills the Star Wars universe, coming in 2015, written by Garth Ennis with art by Steve Dillon. The scene where the Punisher feeds Yoda his lightsaber is just going to be absolutely disgusting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Each week, my flying reindeer, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses on the show. You may have noticed there was one question that was quickly re replaced by a second question. The second one, we just felt, was a little better. So, 
this week's question was. With this week's release of Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained, <laughs> we wanted to know what film directors would you like to see adapt their own work for comics and what artists should they be paired with? As always, we start with Twitter with a response from our friend Brian who says... Brian who? Brian DuPont. Oh, Brian DuPont. Okay, we know Brian O. At Coloring Book. He says, in the spirit of the season, he wants National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation <laughs> in the style of Superman Family Adventures. Oh, Fast wow. and funny. And then he tweeted back saying, and I was being totally serious, no jokes. <laughs> okay. As long as Art Baltazar draws it, I'm in. Totally, totally. Roderick Ruth, the man can't be stopped, says he wants Reservoir Dogs with scenes of the actual robbery taking place Ooh, i like it i like it written by tarantino with art by derek robertson love it or russell braun who i'm not super familiar with russell but derek braun. robertson is an excellent choice yeah i don't know no russell braun moving over to facebook aaron myers king of Askinerd says stanley kubrick paired with simon roy prophet simon roy and David Lynch paired with Riley Rossmo. Whoa. Okay. Well, which what films are they doing? That's what I need to know. Because we already he didn't got... say, but it, I, with that group, I don't think it matters. Yeah. Well, you're going, <laughs> you're you're piercing the veil of the dead to get Stanley Kubrick, I guess. <laughs> so that would be interesting. I'd be down. I'd like to see his eyes wide shut, perhaps. Uh, the TDW says there's an old noir classic called Blast of Silence. Whoa. And it's a must-watch fans for fi for Hitman movies. Ooh. Sean Phillips did the cover for the DVD release, but he should do the art for the comic book adaptation of the movie. Sean Phillips should just do every film noir adaptation. I mean, yeah, come on. for real. Uh, he continues, I'm also a huge Wes Anderson fan and would love for him to team up with Cliff Chang for a version of Rushmore or Bottle Rocket. I like it, but I would also rather see uh, the guy that did all those covers, the illustrated covers and movie posters. I, I can't summon his name, but I would rather see them do it. That would be amazing. Uh, you mean, well, that's his brother. Is it his brother? Yeah. Um, Les Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Wes and Les Anderson. No, I think it's like David, David Anderson or something. Uh, whatever. I love it. Good responses so far, guys. We'll hit some more later on in the show. It's review time on THN, where Matt and I unwrap a pile of this week's comics and tell you which ones to take back in exchange for beer money. Matt, tell us what you found under the tree. This week, I read Django Unchained, number one, adapted from the original screenplay by Quentin Tarantino with art by R.M. Guerra, or Guerra, one of the two. So Probably Guerra. Adapted from the original screenplay leads me to believe that Quentin Tarantino is a guy doing the adaptation because there was no other name under writer or well, scripter or anything like that. I think maybe we're getting caught up by the term adaptation. I don't think they're actually adapting it. I think they literally took lines from the script and plugged them into word balloons. Yeah, I'll get, well, that uh, could be, I suppose. Adapting, adapting implies that somebody like had to massage it so that it fit in comic form. Right. Normally, there, when you do a, ca a comic adaptation of a movie, there's someone's name attached to it. And it's like, you've got the movie by director so-and-so, written by Keith Giffen, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And they smash it into five issues or whatever. But here's your solicit. Oscar-winning writer-director Quentin Tarantino's latest epic film script, 
is adapted for comics. <laughs> the blood-soaked tale of a bounty hunter dentist and his partner, a recently freed slave in the post-Civil War South. This is an adaptation of the full screenplay, including scenes that may not make it into the final theatrical cut, which leads me to believe DC did not get to see the final theatrical cut before it came out. No, I think they're, I think that was pure marketing to say, hey, you should buy this too, because there's more Django in it than you would see in the movie. Quite possibly, quite possibly. Now, because this takes place in the South and the main character is a recently freed slave, get ready for plenty of N-bombs. In fact, I would say more N-bombs than Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, and Reservoir Dogs combined. Yeah, that's probably true. There's a short introduction here by Tarantino where he explains that this isn't just a comic book adaptation of the movie, like we were discussing, but it's more of a director's cut adaptation. And truthfully, until we see the film, we're not going to know. So the question becomes, does this ruin the first 30 minutes of the film? Maybe, but it also might give us a little more than actually ends up on the screen. So I'm actually, I'm really curious to go see this movie. Obviously, we've only had the first issue of five. So I want to see what it ruins for me, maybe. (laughs) Artist Gera, whose full name, I did not know this, is, and I'm going to butcher this, Rajko Milosevic Gera. Wow. Yeah, he's Serbian. I didn't know this. Perfect choice for art duties here. You might remember his work from Jason Aaron's Vertigo title, Scalped. If you don't, go pick it up because it's excellent. Gera has a very Leonardo Manco meets Richard Corbin style here. And it just oh, yeah. brings this book to life. And I really like that he didn't go out of his way to photo reference Jamie Foxx or any of the other actors. I mean, you can see it. It's there. But- no, they, in the intro by Quentin Tarantino, or no, it's uh, it's in the back maybe, when they talk about, there's a sketchbook. Yeah. They actually talk about intentionally not making these characters look like their movie counterparts. And I like it. And I like it too. I like it. Now, I will say, I know I've been guilty of saying how much I do like it when the artist of the IDW Star Trek draws the characters to look like the actors there. I don't know why that is more acceptable to me, but I understand the choice not to do it here, and I think it worked very well. And it- I do too. It actually led me to, after I read it, I went on IMDb and looked up who some of these actors were because other than you know Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz I didn't know any of the other characters who was playing them in the movie right I didn't either Tarantino's dialogue is predictably amazing and he pulls no punches here and I, I was a little worried that DC even under the Vertigo banner might soften it up a little bit not at all this is totally adult dialogue it's completely mature and like i said it is a shower of n-words which i can appreciate because that's how people talked back then and it really bothers me whenever we see these adaptations of pre or post civil war you know south and the writer is afraid to use the N-word, I mean, which I keep saying N-word, but I'm you know, not comfortable saying it on the air. We'd have to believe You it. all know what we mean. Yeah. I like the way this is being done. I remember when uh, back in the Necro. day, Todd McFarlane wrote an issue of Spawn where Spawn came face to face with the KKK and not once did the KKK drop the N-word on it. They used all these other like you know racial slang terms. So I can appreciate that Tarantino isn't afraid to do this, and DC has the balls to put this out. Like I said, I was afraid that reading this might ruin the movie for me, but if anything, after reading this first issue, I am even more excited to see this film. Given this a gigantic buy-it, I can't wait 
to later on sit down with all five issues and my Django Unchained DVD and just <laughs> read through it and figure out what was there and what wasn't there. I think this is really cool and I'd like to see more of this. Yes, I totally agree. When I finished this, I could not wait to see this movie. I will tell you this. I won't read a second one before I see the movie. No, I don't think I will either. But I will continue to read this series, absolutely. It didn't read like a con- like a movie adaptation. No. It read like a great, gritty Western. Yeah, it really did. It didn't even read like storyboards. It just read like an old school DC Western. And I really they, enjoyed they it. Picked, they picked the perfect artist for it. Uh, I'm looking forward to more, but I will wait until I see the movie before I read them. I will say that the two-page Django Unchained poster by Jim Lee is kind of ridiculous. Oh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was totally awesome. And I thought the, the... Right now, it just looks so bizarre. Oh, I loved it. And I thought the variant cover by Jim Lee was totally rad, too. I loved it. Oh, and I should uh, mention, the colors by, and I don't know if I can say this right, Giulia Brusco were excellent. And they made the book feel old. They gave it this, like, old-timey 70s Western feel that worked really really well props to that guy and i don't know that i recognize his name either no i'm not familiar with that colorist either but i agree it was great this was a wonderful book i'm going to read more i'm going to wait for the movie but for now i'm giving it a huge buy it joe patrick why don't you tell the kids what you thought of justice society colon the liberty files colon the whistling skull this issue by b clay moore uh the art here is by tony harris Colors by Dave McCaig. And this is inexplicably a follow-up. Uh, not a follow-up, but it, it, it takes place in the JSA, the Liberty Files, Elseworlds universe, which has not been seen nor heard from, I think, since 2003. Mm-hmm. It's like a solid 10 years. So this is the JSA recast as kind of government operatives that get sent on missions that they're it's more like spy adventure spy smashing adventure than it is capes and tights fighting crime i was a huge fan of the liberty file stuff back in the day that was also drawn by tony harris uh, with scripts by dan jolly who is not here for this story for some reason also inexplicably though this is the merging of the liberty files concept with the Whistling Skull, a character that Harris created independently some years ago and has had a few adventures here and there. I was baffled by that. I didn't. And, I had no recollection of that or where the character was coming from. I, I really have no idea how he was able to arrange this deal with DC to allow his character to interact with theirs and still retain ownership. You know what would have helped with that is perhaps a brief introduction by Tony Harris. That's true. Like meet the whistling skull because I, I didn't dislike the character. I thought it was really cool, but all of a sudden he was just there and I had no idea who he was. Well, yeah, I'm going to get into that here. One second. Here is your solicit in 1940s Europe. The Nazi war machine is on the move, but crimes are still committed in even the smallest hamlets. Can one heroic duo solve the most bizarre mystery of all? From the world of the JSA, colon, the Liberty Files, comma, witness the birth of a new hero for the ages, exclamation point. <laughs> this book, <sighs> I was really excited 
I was really excited for the return of JSA The Liberty Files, and I was even excited to see Tony Harris kind of merging it with his own character because I know how much, how passionate he is about his creator-owned projects. That said, this issue was kind of a disappointment. Like Matt said earlier, it picks up in the middle of the story, and while it does flash back, it doesn't explain anything about the Whistling Skull or where he came from. No, and you know what? I wasn't just him. I had trouble identifying the other characters in the book, too. Well, okay, so there's the Whistling Skull, who is... You can't miss who that is. Right. In the background, you have the Clock and the Owl, who are the original members of uh, the the Unholy Three, which is what they called the JSA. And then there's also Wildcat, a new version of Wildcat, who is new to the team with this series. And they were just calling him the cat, right? They're calling him the, yeah, the cat, probably. Well, I don't think they call him anything. <laughs> no, they I don't think the they cat's say, been shot nine times well, at one point. You're right. To say, like, his nine lives are up or whatever. The nine, Yeah, that's the ninth shot the cat's taken. Uh, but then you have this kind of big dopey guy who's kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men, who is the Whistling Skull's sidekick. And so you get a little bit of background. You get references to the fact that this isn't the first Whistling Skull. But you don't get any explanation of what's going on with the JSA, what's where the Whistling Skull came from. Yeah, what connection he has to them, how he got his powers, who he is, nothing. Right. And even the JSA themselves are only in the first few pages of the book. The rest of this book is all about the Whistling Skull, which would have been fine. And this is one of six, so maybe we're going to get to it. But I don't know. It's not what I wanted, I guess. This really is a Whistling Skull solo book. Guest starring the JSA. Yeah, I mean, because this is not an effective introduction to the character, nor is it an effective way to get me interested in what happens next, because it was so confusing. Right. It, time jumps around a lot, which is a device I enjoy when it's done well. But because they don't give you any background, except for just the smallest hints, I, I was disconnected from it. I didn't really know why I should care. Yeah, it's about one thing, like, when time, any of these characters. when time jumps, like, in a Batman book, and we see young Bruce Wayne, we know who Bruce Wayne is. We know where he came from. It makes sense. We can go, oh, okay, this is him talking to his dad as a child. Or whatever. If you don't know who the Whistling Skull is, when time jumps to another character that just appears to be some kid in the past, it's really hard to connect it to the story that's going. And it just, I thought maybe I was too tired when I read it last night, and I read it again this morning and still went, nope, I don't know what's going on. So It's true. They do stuff like when they flash back to the Whistling Skull and uh, his sidekick as children. They give you first names, and that's really all you have to go by. But then the Whistling Skull starts calling his sidekick Knuckles. He starts calling him a different name. Yeah. And so, like, there's just not enough there to make the connection. The JSA were barely in it. The art is gorgeous, don't get me wrong. I love Tony Harris. The art was totally, the paneling was amazing. The art was incredible. And just, like, not only the art, but the design of the book. Like, if you ever, if you go on Facebook, or, I hate to say it, Instagram, and follow Tony Harris. What's your problem with Instagram? 
It's for hipsters. It's a, it's a, it's a camera. It's crappy camera for hipsters. Oh, please give me a break. Old uh, man. And, but if you, if you, he's constantly posting like his process, like, and half of the work is him actually drawing the panel borders, laying out the design of the book. And that meticulous care really shows through. Yeah. I follow him because Instagram is cool. And so is Tony Harris. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely <laughs> worth a follow. It's really impressive. And this guy is so talented. I think. Hey, Matt, did you like Instagram before it was cool? I don't know. I just downloaded it because it was an easy way to put pictures on Facebook. Hipster. <laughs> Whatever. You have a smartphone. Your phone already has an easy way to put pictures on Facebook. Yeah, but this way I can throw it up to Twitter as well at the same time. Boom, bang, bang. Uh -huh. Easy. And you can make it totally sepia tone. Way off topic. Anyway. <laughs> I think they got lost in the art and in the smashing of this character into this side universe. And that's another thing I need to touch on here. And I know I don't want to sound like comic novice because we've always dealt with several different universes and timelines and whatnot. There's no reason why they couldn't just say, this is part of the new DCU. It just happened in the 40s or whatever. There's no right. reason why they couldn't do that. And to not do that, to just have it be a separate thing, makes it even more confusing and makes but us ask, where are we? Why do we need this? Who are these characters? Other than the pretty pictures, there's not much here for me. I can only give this a skim it. And speaking to, to that point, it's not this book's fault that DC no. refused to label this book in Elseworlds. It's not this book's fault at all, but They've it is a problem. Yes, but they've got this like stubborn insistence that Elseworlds is dead, and so you've got a book that's just labeled DC, and for somebody that doesn't know that the Liberty Files was something that existed in the past... Ten years ago in the past, yeah, mind you? There's there's nothing to indicate that this is an alternate history, and that this doesn't connect to the present-day DCU. No, this feels doomed to fail to me, honestly. And it's too bad because I wanted to succeed and I love the fact that DC was willing to take a chance on it just like they did with the Shade miniseries. But with the with the confusing narrative and the lack of background information and the disconnect from the rest of the DC world, I have to give it a skim it as well. And I was already a fan of the Liberty Files. Yeah, me too. I loved it. Not only does this not have anything to connect it to the main DC universe, but other than a five-second appearance, it doesn't have anything to connect it to the Liberty Files universe either. No, this was really a disappointment. And I, I don't know where the falling down is, but... And I'm going to read the rest of them because I want to see where it goes. And I do love Tony Harris's art, but can't say I'm real excited. Absolutely. It could... It, maybe as a whole it will read better, but as a first chapter I found it disappointing. Yeah, you're certainly not going to grab anybody with this one, and that equals sales disappointment. And that equals we don't try this experiment again. So that is a double buy-it for Django Unchained and... Excuse me. It's Dejano. The G is silent. <laughs> Dejano. <laughs> Dejano Unchained. And a double skim it for the Whistling Skull, unfortunately. Of course, we want to know what you skull-headed detectives and freed slaves thought of these comics, so drop us your opinions over at the comment section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. He came in with a reputation as a loose cannon, and Maverick Matt has been told by the instructors at the Academy that he was a danger to himself and everyone in the air. Then I had sex with this... my teacher. Oh, but this year, he'll show them all who's the best with the help of his co-pilot, Goose. 
Read it. I guess that's me. When he buzzes the tower in the red and green THN F-16 on his way to delivering snarky Christmas comic reviews to the boys and girls of Nerdville during a very grinchy, ludicrous speed round. I'll tell you what, that Top Gun, uh, Grinch We Stole Christmas metaphor, that was not easy to write. <laughs> ludicrous speed! Go! Uncanny X-Force number 35 from Marvel. This is the final issue of Rick Remender's amazing Uncanny X-Force run, and it ended so well. Not a lot of action here, but they tied up some stuff. You see Wolverine upset about the death of his son. You see Kid Apocalypse dealing with who he is, and a really heartwarming moment with Deadpool that I can't believe I've even saying out loud. You see <laughs> Elizabeth Braddock making up with her brother, Captain Britain. This was so good, and I'm not going to give you the big reveal in the end, but there is a big thing that happens. It was fun. Phil Noto's art was awesome. This is one of the best X runs I've ever read. Buy this and go back and buy all the rest of them if you didn't. I think it's really nice that they actually kind of gave them a happy ending. Yes, especially when things were so crappy for 35 <laughs> issues. Nightwing, number 15 from DC. Uh, Nightwing joins the death of the family crossover, and I have not been picking up Nightwing. Let's call it Dota. Or Dota. Uh, Dota. Sorry, Dota. I haven't picked picked up the last several Nightwings because they've been, for some reason, guest written by Tom DeFalco. Yeah, and not great. Uh, Kyle Higgins is back, though, with this issue. Kyle Higgins and Eddie Barrows. And it was really good. And it's an actual, legitimate death of the family tie-in. Things happen. The Joker kills people. And Nightwing has to deal with it. I'm giving this one a buy it. Nightwing is a good book. I just wish it was good all the time. Amen. Executive Assistant Iris, Volume 3, Number 1 from Aspen. Uh, the Executive Assistant is back with a big tie-in that they're calling Executive Execution, and I don't care. The art is bad. The story is predictably bad. It's sort of like Charlie's Angels, Ninjas. There's just nothing here. Leave it. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Saga, Number 8 from Image. We don't talk about this book every time it comes out like we do some others, but this, I just need to remind you guys that this is probably one of the best books on the stands right now. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier in the show. Is it the best book Image is putting out right now? Yes. Maybe. Yes. And you will hear a whole lot more about Saga next week on the Golden Beppo Awards, but this was a wonderful issue. Beautiful art by Fiona Staples. I can't believe I'm saying this, but she draws the best horrifying giant ogre with terrifying herniated testicles I have ever <laughs> seen in a comic. I'm giving this a huge, huge buy it. What's the next book? Joe Paluka, number one from IDW. So Joe Paluka was a thing back in the golden age. He was just kind of like tough guy, you know, punch him up fighter. And they brought him back to the modern day in as an MMA fighter, basically. Joe Paluka is wrong. His real name is Nick something. He's wrongfully accused of a crime. He's already an MMA fighter, so he has to become a different persona so he doesn't get arrested. But the only way he knows how to make money is fighting the MMA, baby. And they do a good job of giving it this sort of silly golden age feel in like a detective story and a wrongfully accused, you know, fighter, tough guy. But it just didn't really work for me, and the art was not very good. I can't even give it a skin, and I gotta give it a lead. It. Hellblazer 298 DC Vertigo. I don't pick up, up Hellblazer every time, uh, every time it comes out, but every once in a while, I'll just pick up the first issue of a new storyline. This just happens to be the first issue of the final storyline of Hellblazer. And John Constantine has found out that he has five days left to live, 
and there's no tricking his way out of it, and he's trying to find peace, but everyone else around him is trying to find a way out. It's so good. Peter Milligan has done a great job on this series. Giuseppe Camincoli is a gorgeous artist, and I'm so glad that he has had a lengthy run on this book. I'll miss him on the new Constantine. I have to give this one a buy it. I know it sounds weird with only three issues to go, but this has been a great run of a great series, and it will definitely be missed when it's gone. Buy it. Wonder Woman, number 15 from DC. I fell behind on Wonder Woman, and I don't know why, because this really is a great book. Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang are doing a fantastic job on this story. Orion pops up here, and the redesign on him is really cool. They even made his weird flying... I don't even know what to call it. Brace? His weird flying polio brace looks really cool. (laughs) (laughs) And they introduced this sort of like Greek oracle who's a homeless guy with a blindfold. He's blind. He can see the future. And he's totally modeled off Wesley Willis. He goes so far as to headbutt Orion when they meet. And it was awesome. (laughs) I've given this book a huge buy it. I'm going to go back and read the five issues that I fell behind on. I don't know why I ever stopped. FF number two from Marvel. This is a great series, and I am really happy that Matt Fraction has taken this cast of characters and this take and given them these voices. He's got a great handle on it. It's a different beast from Hickman's FF, but I really like what Fraction's doing here. I love the hesitation of uh, Scott Lang. I love the characterization of the kids. Bentley, who's the clone of the wizard, uh, says, who cares where the molehs are? Maybe they're sleeping in a ditch. And there's an adorable scene with Artie and Leech just kind of being kids and crawling on top of Miss Thing. I just love it. The Allred and Fraction are doing a great job here. It's heartwarming. It's fun. It is a buy it. I'm going to say right now, uh, Fraction, best writer working at Marvel at present. Up yours, Hillary. Whoa. Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 15 from DC. I haven't checked in on this book. For quite some while, there's an artist named Cooter is the last name. K-U-D-E-R. I can't... Aaron Cooter, I think. Yeah. He's great. He looks really, really good on this book. Now, that said, I think the whole Kyle Rayner using all the colors is interesting. But the way that they pull it off, like when he uses the red ring, he freaks out. like, rawr! And when he uses the orange ring, he's like, mine! You know, like, I would rather see him have control of it. And maybe it wouldn't come off as being so silly. Now, it is an interesting story here. It's part of the Rise of the Third Army. I probably will check back in with this book. I like the cast of characters. But I wish they handled that slightly differently. I'm giving it a skim. Avengers Arena number two from Marvel. This is another really pleasant surprise. I think this issue is better than the first one. It follows a new character that uh, is calling herself Death Locket. But what she really means is That's that adorable. she's... But what she really means is that she's a Deathlock, Deathlockette. That's what somebody calls her a Deathlockette, and she mishear, she mishear understands it as Deathlocket because she doesn't know what Deathlock means. And it's really touching and heartbreaking. The art by Kev Walker is wonderful. This girl has got the worst father in history. <laughs> I'm giving this a huge buy. It. I really like Avengers Arena. Suck it, haters. That is your ludicrous speed round. And Shrackers is a noise that happens in next week's Amazing Spider-Man 700 that we're not supposed to be talking about. I know what happens, y'all. Oh, snaps. Now join us, please, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum 
For on this Yuletide weekend, DJ and I will be melting down the terrified denizens of the island of misfit toys and huffing the fumes in hope that the same caustic magic that brought them to life in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer will reveal to us the secrets of next week's comics. Joe Patrick, what does the acrid, magical smoke of a crying, broken typewriter reveal to you? Oh, my pick for next week is Justice League number 15 from DC, written by Jeff Johns with art by Ivan Rice. I know that we have had our problems with Justice League in the past, but I'm hoping that the addition of Ivan Rice will elevate this book above where it has been. I know that Rice and Johns work very, very well together, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring to Justice League. This is also part one of the Throne of Atlantis crossover with Aquaman, which looks like it might actually be kind of fun. We'll see. We'll see. Matt Bum, as if you haven't already read it, what are you excited for next week? There was only one pick for me, and it's Amazing Spider-Man 700 from Marvel by Dan Slott and Humberto Ramos. All we know is that Dan Slott said, you're either going to love this or come find him and beat him up after you read this one. I'm super excited for this. I trust Dan Slott implicitly. I honestly don't care what happens. I know what happens. I'm not going to go into it. But before I read it, I didn't care what happened because I trust him so much. I can't wait for everybody to read this and see how they react to it. Yes, and I think that Dan Slott getting death threats over this just makes comic book fans look like complete antisocial lunatics. Also makes the book look that much more important. I love it. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, it makes that many more people go out and buy it, you idiots. If you're that upset about it, don't say anything. Just shut up and go, I didn't read it because I don't care. That's how you win that battle, you know? Be sure to tell us of your melting toy huffing experiences and what comics you're excited for next week over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe Patrick, before we move on, why don't you read us some more tweets and Facebook answers to the question of the week? John Luttrell from Burnt Wieners says, Harmony Kareen brings trash humpers to the panel page via Ted McKeever with a backup by Sam Keith. Everyone is welcome for that imagery. I was too scared to Google what any of those words mean. Matt Bomb, do you know? It was two sociopathic elderly folks in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and it's disgusting. The same guy that directed Gummo, which featured a scene of a little kid taking a crap in the tub and playing with it. So, disgusting. Thanks for that, John. Disgusting, sir. <laughs> Brian Domingos says Robert Altman and Howard Shaken. Just think of all that layered dialogue. Good lord. Ben Rice says, Nolan and Jim Lee on Inception for a big blockbuster graphic novel. I know that may be too mainstream and obvious, but it would work. And just in case you choose to read this, thank you for the kind welcome aboard. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Ben Rice. Welcome aboard, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Rich Gallagher also suggests Wes Anderson, but he says, pair him with Mike Allred. Love it. They have a recognizable, singular style that finds the beauty in the flaws and celebrates the awkward. And I would love a series about Team Zisu drawn by Mike Allred. Oh my god. Yeah, just like an Otherworld thing. Like, just other adventures of Team Zisu. I couldn't have said it better myself. Candy Candy Gross says, I think Jim Henson could have done some wonderful things. Just look at how awesome Tale of Sand turned out. I agree. Totally. Nathan Bradford says... First, I would invent a time machine to bring the John Carpenter from the early 80s to the present time. I like it. I would 
before john have, carpenter was replaced by aliens because we all know that's what happened <laughs> i would then have him team up with bernie wrightson to make the ultimate horror comic after taking the comic industry by storm i would then have 80s carpenter slap the crap out of present day carpenter for not having made a decent movie in 20 years or expose present day carpenter for the alien that he obviously is <laughs> and finally Stephen dowell writes dario argento adapting suspiria love it with J.H. Williams the third. Oh, God, that would be horrifying. <laughs> I think the visual stylization would be through the oh, roof. Man. And he adds, I also think an Adam Hughes adaptation of anything by Russ Meyer would be a no-brainer. Oh, God, yeah. That'd be excellent. Any of the women in cages movies. Oh, man. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for all your answers. Those are great Another answers, you guys. And I like the thought that went into it. That was great. Yes, excellent work. And sorry to everyone that answered the first question of the week. I wish Matt Baum had thought of it earlier. This one was better. Sorry. <laughs> now it's time to curl up by the Yule log, sip some spiked eggnog, and join us for our discussion of David Peterson's first two volumes of Mouse Guard from Archaia as part of our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. Matt Baum, kick us off. So to sum it up, the multi-Eisner winning Mouse Guard, and this comes from the MouseGuard.net site. In the world of Mouse Guard, my struggle to live safely and prosper amongst harsh conditions and a host of predators. Thus, the Mouse Guard was formed. More than just soldiers, they're guides for common mice looking to journey without confrontation from one village to another. They see to their duty with fearless dedication so that they may not simply exist, but truly live. Think Game of Thrones starring mice <laughs> that is a good place yeah. to start I, you know i kind of went my brain went lord of the rings but um i guess less magic huh? yeah i'm going more game of thrones because there's no monsters there's no magic these are m talking mice but they deal with real threats they're afraid of weasels they're afraid of snakes they're afraid game of thrones is full of dragons I, okay game of thrones is uh, full of dragons but you gotta admit it's more realistic than sure. say lord of the rings Nobody's casting magical spells. And this is truly like stories, not just of like mouse adventures, but mouse diplomacy, different mouse cultures, how they get along. The mouse guard is sort of like the Jedi class of this mice, of the mouse civilization as we see it. They don't necessarily serve one city or ruler. They try to serve everybody. And... There is a major kingdom. It's a Lockhaven, Lock but that's the, that's more like the headquarters of the guard itself. Right. Like if you, what I really appreciated is that um, is the way Peterson has this all planned out. He's got like the world of it, you know, fully fleshed out. Even if it's not necessarily all on the page, uh, it, it's it's not that there is one mouse kingdom. It's that because of their size and how they are too small to integrate with other animals. They have to hide their cities and spread them apart. Yeah. So that like, if one gets destroyed, it's not like the end of their civilization. No, they can move to another city and whatnot. And each city and has different from place to place kind of defending everything. Yeah. And each city has a very different characteristics. It's one inside of a tree. There's one that's underground, hidden behind some stones. There's one that's like on the beach, basically. And each mouse is drawn very noticeably different. Now, 
they his art is stripped down. He's not doing really in-depth, deep, fleshed-out art here, but he's mm-hmm. able to put so much character in each mouse, like the difference between Liam, the red fur, and Saxon, who's like the hot-headed, you know, warrior. I mean, it just works. And it works not only in the way they look, but in the way that they're written. He gives everyone, every one of them has an amazing voice. And in the back of each of these stories, he fleshes out the maps of like Lockhaven spreading out to the other mouse cities, mouse jobs. It shows like guys dressed to be blacksmiths and fishermen and like the different weapons that the mouse guard carry. It's like he's building a role-playing game, to tell you the truth. Yeah, really. And you know what? They ended up making a mouse guard role-playing game. And I want to play so bad. (laughs) After reading these, I am in. And I have to disagree with you uh, about the art. I don't think it's stripped down at all. It's just that, I mean, it's like every panel is its own piece of fine art. Okay, I'll give you that. And and while he's not, like, filling the backgrounds necessarily with, like, every detail you would see, like, if you look out a window, what he's doing is utilizing the space so well that, you know, he, he has an excellent take on, like, where to put negative space. Yeah, that's And fair. then the stuff that's that he fair. does draw is insanely detailed like it's got its own texture oh yeah i mean especially the cities and the the architecture and the buildings he he has not only thought this out he saw this in his head and rendered it perfectly i mean you can tell when they cut to other cities exactly where the mice are just based on like the architecture of the room in the second book in winter they're lost in this weasel kingdom wandering through this maze and it's just Beautiful, oh, and you know what? That's what made me think of Lord of the Rings. Definitely, the mind of Moria. Like the and of Moria. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see his original art because I don't see a colorist credited. I think he does everything, and so I want to know if, like, he is if all of these originals are colored by hand, or if he colors it digitally and he's just really, really good at it. Yeah, I don't know. They they look like they're hand drawn, but painted color yeah it's beautiful it really is it's an amazing book and it doesn't read as much like a comic as it really does read like a storybook the way that he set it up and it's so much deeper than just cute little mice with capes you know sword fighting there there's all there's themes of diplomacy there's themes of betrayal there's themes of mythology and heroism and love this is a wonderful storybook and this is definitely this would be a great chance for anybody with little guys that are interested in you know fantasy stories to sit down and read these comics with their kids because they're not i mean they're serious there's stakes involved people die but it's not violent and i wouldn't necessarily call it scary i think this is something you could share uh, with i mean guys. it's 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 violent but not gory yes it's tastefully done yeah it, it and- re- I actually think that calling Mouse Guard a kids book is doing it a disservice. Not that so there's too. anything not that there's anything wrong with kids book kids books, but it is in like the best sense of the phrase, it is all ages. Yeah, truly. Because I don't have kids, Matt doesn't have kids, and I couldn't put this book down. I have kids, I just don't take care of them. I'm not interested oh. in raising them. That's all right. I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> I don't have kids. Matt doesn't care about his kids. We couldn't put these books down. Yeah, these were wonderful. They really were. And I feel bad that I put off reading them for as long as I did because people yelled at me. Like, you haven't read that yet? (laughs) Yeah. These are so good. The good news is is that there's two more, at least two more volumes 
that I can go from to that I can go to from here. Yeah, there's the black axe, which looks into one of the characters we meet in the end of the first book and is really kind of central to the second book. And it looks at his mythology in the past. And then there's Tales of the Mouse Guard, which takes place. Uh, Legends of the Guard. Me. Legends of the Guard. Yeah. Legends of the Guard, which takes place in a bar where David Peterson writes the introduction where there's like a mouse barkeeper who's like, all right, all you mice owe me a ton of money. Nobody's paid up for their drinks. So somebody better tell me a kick-ass story and I will erase your bar tab. And then he had other creators that are his friends write short stories. Oh, that's awesome. As told by the mice. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Hellboy Weird Tales. Yes, it's a lot like that. I, I can't say enough about how great this was. This is a huge buy it for me. And I read it at the perfect time of year. It was fall turning into winter. So it worked really well with cold ass Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> Man, I loved this. I can't give it a bigger buy it. Yeah, like we said, I mean, this is the best example of an all ages book. And it sounds ridiculous when you describe it. It's fantasy adventure with m little cute mice. And it sounds like something you wouldn't want to read. But if you pick it up and look at it, you will see that it is such an engaging story with beautiful, beautiful art. It, reading it is an experience. It's it not really just. Is. It's not just something where you read the script and gloss over the art or you marvel at the art and don't care about the story. It is the whole package, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It gets a buy it from me as well. Maybe one of these days we'll actually pick a book that we hate. <laughs> I think we have been pretty lucky so far. Next month, we'll be reading Scene of the Crime by Ed Brubaker, Michael Lark, and Sean Phillips, recently reprinted in nice oversized hardcover by image comics so if you want to read along run out to your local comic shop now and if you have a suggestion for a trader graphic novel you'd like to hear us review send us an email with the subject line and take a look sort of, sort of break it break it down like this that is it for the winning the war on christmas episode of thn if two nerds launching a full-scale attack on baby jesus's birthday is your idea of a good time you can subscribe to this show on itunes where if you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating and a written review and help us get into the iTunes Top 10. Huge thanks to this week's donor, Ethan. And if you'd like to help keep us in holiday trees and non-denominational holiday gifts, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved 2 where you can also contact us about sponsoring the show while you're there you can find links to our twitter feed and our email to editor gmail.com where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic you'd like us to review and don't forget to check out all the new content from the thn love slaves at to including a primer to next week's best of show by joe patrick and i where we pick out the worst of the year. And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. If you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web exclusive not safe for work audio blog The Answer of the Week. Next week, it's the second annual Golden Beppo Awards where we reward some of this year's best comic book talent with the coveted Golden Beppo. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Randy Andrews, who comes into Legend every week to tell Joe he listened to and loved the latest episode. Word to you, Randy, this week he brought in a friend that he converted to the THN cause. We could all use a little Randy in our lives, couldn't we, guys? Come on, tell a buddy about us, will ya? <laughs> and until next time, true believers, this is a two-headed nerd wishing you all a Merry Xmas and to all a good night. <laughs>